Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. The show where we talk about the business of sports. So we talk to interesting personalities, executives, investors, and I do it with my partner Joe Favorito every Tom, week. how are you? Good to be with you again, Joe. As we're on the road always. this time, Tom. How about yeah, that? We're, we're, we're doing an away game, yeah. uh, but we're in, we're in a friendly location with, with someone we really like. It's going to be a great conversation. A home court, I guess we could call it. Yeah, kind of yeah. a home away yeah. kind of thing. Right, okay, whatever. All right, so <laughs> uh, we're actually in the offices of Courtside Ventures with our friend Deepin Parikh. We're going to talk to Deepin. Welcome, Deepin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, and we've been wanting to do this podcast for a long time because we've been we've known and been friends with Deepin for quite some time. Many of you may know Deepin from NYBC Sports Meetup Group. He's the co-founder along with Jeff Volk. Uh, but Deepin's been instrumental in building probably the most vibrant sports business community that intersects with investment and finance and entrepreneurism in New York, now expanding. That'll be a separate podcast to talk about the expansion of his new empire, of his growing empire. But today we're going to focus on courtside ventures, talk a little bit about what's going on in sports tech in terms of the trends, in terms of the hot investments, some of the portfolio companies uh, that are part of courtside and the stories around them. So with no further ado, Deepin, why don't you introduce yourself to our crowd and let everybody know how you got here. Awesome, yeah. No, happy to be on and love to share more info about Courtside and NYBC. So, uh, Courtside Ventures, we're an early stage fund. We invest in seed and Series A companies across sports media and gaming. So, the lines of sports media and gaming have been blurring for quite some time. I think the way it stands today is sports, esports, gaming, all kind of is intersecting with traditional sports as we see with. NBA 2K deal. Mm -hmm. We see with a lot of pro team owners that are now getting into esports. Um, so we kind of bucket all that into one, and you know we see sports as a subset of media. So everything kind of uh, is cyclical in that space, and so that's kind of what we focus on. We're a strategic fund in the sense that we have two LPs in our fund that had a lot of value to each of our portfolio companies. First of which is Dan Gilbert, who's the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, and founder and chairman of Quicken Loans. Um, we're also backed by WPP, which is uh, the largest communications holding company, um, owner of, or also owns Group M, Ogilvy, a lot of the large agencies around the world. Um, so on one end with Dan, we get access to a lot of sports teams, leagues, and media companies. On the other end of the spectrum through WPP, get a lot of value add through brands, uh, the really deep data, and obviously their sports group, which we work pretty closely with. And you have a pretty well-connected partner. I who's do. An accomplished entrepreneur himself. So why don't you talk about Vasu? Yeah, I have. Uh, I have the, I guess, pleasure of <laughs> working with uh, a Mr. Vasu Kolkarni. He is the founder and CEO of Crossover Technologies, uh, which is an analytics company that serves the high school market. They're the largest player in basketball. Uh, and growing across in other sports as well. So Vasu is my partner and uh, truthfully the reason I actually ended up working here. Um, but we spend, you know, I spend full time on courtside um, and we've done about 18 investments now in the last year wow, and a half. that many. It's only been a year and a half, right? It's been, yeah. we launched uh, officially in 
March or I'm sorry of October of 2015 mm -hmm. um, but the announcements really went out in January of that year so we are uh, yeah we're been at a pretty fast clip over the last few months uh, ebbs and flows some months are mm -hmm. a lot busier than others summertime usually dies down a little bit but um, we're very much in sync with the traditional venture cycles but also on the sports side as well and can you, so you, you mentioned uh, Vasu helping you get into this business. Tell us uh, about the journey that brought you to Courtside and your yeah. relationship with Vasu. Yeah, I'm not going to give him too much credit here, but uh, <laughs> no, I'll give Whatever the, he thinks appropriate. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll give kind of the quick background. So I originally went to University of Maryland, um, was a very big sports fan growing up, a Baltimore and Maryland sports fan. Much to the chagrin of my NYVC co-founder Jeff Falk, who's fan of the uh, the guys up north, which the, gonna say. the Celts. Yeah, we won't mention yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Who had a stellar game recently? Yes. Um, the so graduated from Maryland, ended up working at UBS uh, right out of college. So spent three years at UBS. Was a tumultuous, but actually a really fun time. It was from 2007 to 2010, which meant that I got one really good year and then two uh, pretty rough years. Right. Fortunate to just have a job. Um, and decided to leave there after three years with the hopes of entering into the more entrepreneurial world. Always kind of had this passion for starting companies. Um, the larger kind of opportunity that I was always thinking I'd end up was more the healthcare side. Okay. And that's what had really intrigued me. Had a lot of family that was involved in the healthcare industry. Um, and then started realizing that there are actually opportunities in sports outside from being a 5'10 Indian quarterback in the NFL, okay. which wasn't, uh, didn't seem likely. Learned that in like the eighth grade. But were there um, any things you were doing? I'm just curious growing up that were, that you could call entrepreneurial. Like, did you have a paper yeah. spirit? Yeah. Like, were you hustling as a teenager? Different yeah. jobs and things? I mean, I always had. So in college, I started a uh, healthcare consulting company with my brother in law and another guy that was going into hospitals to help. What were you able to consult people on when you were in college about healthcare? Well, I couldn't do. But, you know, it's really complicated. <laughs> what we could consult on was okay. technology. It's more complicated than I thought it would be. <laughs> but we were helping with like our goal was to help with the migration of the management systems so like over to the uh, EMR system okay and so uh, with the very little bit of lot knowledge I had and hopefully your brother, her brother had more than you did yeah a lot more than I did okay it was a way to keep my parents happy when I told them I wasn't gonna be a doctor <laughs> Uh, so after UBS, I joined a uh, startup here in New York called MyNines, which was a uh, aggregator of the flash sale space. It was a opportunity where I had mutual friends with the founder. Uh, both founders were really sharp, graduated from HBS, and they were looking for someone young and hungry to come in, work for uh, very little, but get a good experience. And my whole goal was just to get my feet wet mm -hmm. from the get-go. I mean, going from a company of... 80,000 people or 50,000 people, wherever UBS was, down to four um, is a pretty stark change. I mean, you go to doing work where no one notices anything to if you don't do the work. Doesn't get done. No one does it. Right. And so it was, uh, it was a very different mentality, but it was a great kind of stepping stone in order to get kind of antiquated with 
the whole ecosystem, startup ecosystem. This was 2010, so it was for New York purposes, it was quite early in terms of the startup mm -hmm. world. Um, obviously, there were some great companies that were started before that in New York, but came in at a time where I think a lot of people were looking to uh, transition over to the startup space. So I had an opportunity to meet a lot of other people who were in a similar situation who have now gone on to do some really remarkable um, either early stage endeavors or ended up selling companies. So it's it's been a really fun group to be a part of. Um, next, I decided to leave there after about a year. Uh, had this grand vision of building a startup in the sports space. And Tom, I think this is when you and I first met. Right, right. Um, we set out to build what we thought was going to be a CRM platform for the professional and college sports industry. And uh, partnered up with a very good friend. And we were very, very fortunate that we uh, were able to bring on two really stellar developers um, who rounded out our team of four. And... Went working on the product, we... What do you call that business again? Fanmore. Fanmore, right. Yeah. And it was a uh, it was a whirlwind. Right. I mean, we had really good conversations at schools. We thought we could actually build a business, uh, just not a very good, long-term, scalable business. Uh, the truth is, I think it's uh, anyone trying to build a business model around selling directly and only to sports teams, especially colleges, is a very difficult prospect yeah, if it yeah. doesn't appeal directly to the bottom line of selling merchandise, mm -hmm. selling tickets, right. TV tune in. Yeah. If it's not directly equating to the bottom line, your service is not top of mind. Right. And so I think that's where we kind of fell into the bucket of offering a service, a need but not a core need. Mm -hmm. And you know, looking back on it, I think that is 100% shaped uh, the way we look at investments today. Mm -hmm. And so after uh, Fanmore, I was fortunate where I had an opportunity to go uh, help out at a family office and help them diligence a number of pro sports teams that they were looking to acquire. So that experience kind of opened up my eyes away from just sports tech only, but more broadly, to the world of media, understanding the television deals, understanding the CBAs, understanding the nuances of how those companies or those massive organizations leverage technology. Right. It was a large part of what they were doing in you know, 2012. Um, it was fairly early in terms of you know, the new NBA deal and a lot of the league deals that were getting done. Right. Um, so from there, I joined Interplay Ventures, which was a early stage funded incubator. Um, you know, it was definitely not sports focused, but I had an opportunity to go uh, work with and join a guy named Mark Davis, who uh, had a pretty prolific background uh, as it pertained to early stage investing and also just the community he'd helped build at Columbia and NYU and others. And so the goal of Interplay was to build companies and then invest in other companies that um, we thought were you know, f too far along for us, kind of out of our realm. And so we, uh, we started about 20 companies and invested in 12. What were some of those um, companies? The ones we built, um, a company called Foundershield, which is actually an insurance company, 
but targets earlier stage companies. Mm -hmm. So we saw that there was a huge need where the insurance industry is really antiquated. And if you're an early stage company, uh, it's not that easy to actually obtain your insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're still working with traditional insurance brokers. Right. And so, and there's a lot of different nuances that appeal to early stage company type insurance, right? If you're building a, a drone, a normal policy is probably not only hmm. going to cover you. Um, similarly, if you're, you know, building a, a gym, doesn't matter. You, they're just different types of coverage for different types of businesses. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of something we, uh, we built internally stuff we invest in we invest in a company called urban stems which uh is a on-demand flower and gifting delivery company um so we're, we're pretty diverse there was no set vertical focus there uh but along the way had always kind of maintained this passion and network within sports and the media industry and so um you know dating back about two years from now or two years back um reconnected with Vasu, who's my partner now, and we started sharing deal flow. I was still seeing a number of early stage opportunities in the sports space, um, started sharing deals with him as he was kind of doing one-off stuff with uh, Dan Gilbert and his network, and he was also at the time, um, you know, going through the process of putting together a fund on Dan's side. So they ended up uh, being in a situation where raised a good amount of money, but Vasu was involved in crossover here, so they uh, needed someone to come join, be a partner in the fund, and run it on a day-to-day -day basis. So timing-wise, I think it was quite fortuitous, worked out really well. Uh, the one thing I kind of hopped over, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, is the one thing that brings us all together, I think, developed my network in the first place, aside from Tom, Joe, and Jeff, was NYDC Sports, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, started more out of a need for for myself personally to get access to a lot of the leagues, teams, and senior executives right. in the sports industry. And for Jeff, who was at BAM at the time, to get more exposure to the more technological and early mm -hmm. stage side. So right, we'll save that for part two. Yeah, we'll save that for part two. Well, that's good. But no, and what's nice about it is it's, it's another example. We'll get into this when we discuss it in, deep, in, in depth. But um, the, the, this different, these disparate parts of the business needed to be connected better than they were. And I think it's accomplished that really nicely. And it's definitely helped you, I assume. Me, meaning NYDC you know. Sports. Yeah, I mean, what, and what that'll be our time. next. Uh, right, our so next we'll do that as a part two. But uh, Joe, go ahead. I know you had a question. So um, just to kind of move into, so Dan Gilbert, Dan Gilbert is now a partner figuring out how you guys are going to work together, the owner of the Cavaliers, for people who don't know. And you move ahead now to where you are in the last, you talked about all the deals in the last 18 months. Um, Bruin Capital is obviously a part of everything that you're doing, mm -hmm. run by George Pine. Um, how did that come together? And then why don't we talk about some of the, those massive amounts of companies that you all have invested in and what the space looks like in general? Yeah, sure. So. Um yeah, I think we are incredibly fortunate, but Vasu and I, to have um, the resources that we do. I mean, aside from us running it on a uh, daily, weekly basis and kind of being the forefront of the fund, um, you know, as a part of us or part of the fund, we work closely with Dan and his entire team. 
Uh, Brian Hermelin um, is a partner in our fund who also runs Rockbridge uh, and is involved with a lot of other um, initiatives and funds that Dan's involved in. Um, you know, on the advisory side, we have two, you know, prolific names in the sports and media space. Brian Beadall, right. folks might be familiar with, who uh, now runs Sports Rocket, and then also uh, Doug Perlman, who mm-hmm. runs Sports Media Advisors and mm-hmm. has been a uh, close confidant for a lot right. of early and you know growth stage companies. Yes. And then former uh, colleague of mine, exactly. Not the NHL. Yeah, there you go. And then last but not least, Bruin Sports Capital, Joe, which you mentioned, um, which is later stage growth oriented. They um, have done a phenomenal job of acquiring some really fast growth businesses. Um, so they're a partner in what we do, and George, uh, George Pine, and Jeff Roth, and David, who work over there, we work hand-in-hand hand with them, um, talking to them at least a couple times a week. So a lot of the early-stage opportunities that go to Dan, go to George, uh, even WPP, that are in the sports world, early-stage mm-hmm. side, or mm-hmm. gaming world, will come to us. Right. And By way so, of reference, just for the, for the listeners, you talked about uh, seed, uh, basically early stage investment. What yeah. roughly? What's that range financially? For those, um, for those people who don't know. Yeah, I mean, seed used to be a lot smaller. Right. Um, that seeds. number is yeah, the numbers increased pretty significantly. We've seen seed deals ranging up to three million now. Mm-hmm. Uh, more traditionally, used to be around one to one and a half. It was really meant initially to be enough capital to prove out that you would actually have something right. where there's product market fit and you can go raise a larger mm-hmm. round to scale on. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that seed stages are, are larger or seed rounds are larger. I think it gives companies more time. Right. Hopefully they use it as more time as opposed to hiring more or overbuilding. Right? That's, but what has happened specifically in the industry that's required more seed capital for these companies? Uh, what has happened? There's just more capital in the market. So there are more entrants if there's in the market. More, if you can get more money, take more money. That's the attitude. Um, yeah, to some extent. Because in, in other words, many of uh, on the cost side, lots of the cost structures have actually been reduced. Totally. On, I mean, on the tech front, at least. If you look at infrastructure costs, right. you look at you know hosting, hosting with, right. way cheaper. Right. But talent has also gotten very expensive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the development. Um, you know, an iOS engineer is not going to run you sixty grand. Right. Um, it's going to be quite expensive. <laughs> exactly. And so I think that that the salaries have increased. Also, the fact that there is a significant amount of early stage capital in this space um, has led to just larger seed rounds. And that's not only large institutional funds coming down and creating seed programs and writing small checks. It's more just early stage seed funds sprouting up right. and a lot of individuals. Um, you know, when you're in New York or your Bay Area and there's a lot of access to capital in other forms here, we have finance, right? right? A lot of individuals who have a lot of money and want to put it to work. Tech companies are pretty sexy right. to be behind. Right. Do you have a preference? So what we would like, as Joe mentioned, we'd love you to talk about a couple of the portfolio companies, but do you have a preference, uh, generally speaking, of B2B? versus B to C? 
we don't. I mean, if you look at our portfolio, you'll probably see more enterprise-driven mm-hmm. or B2B. Uh, we'll do B2C. I mean, the way we think about investing is more vertically thesis and business model oriented than we do just looking at a specific B2B or B2C. So we like from, you know, the thesis we've kind of crafted here is we want to be the platform that facilitates content, period. And so content, we kind of break down into five cycles or five buckets, ranging from content creation, content capture technologies, content analysis, content distribution, content consumption. And not to say we want to be making content, but we want to be the platform that powers one, many, or all of so those. Kind of a vertical integration of those pieces. Co- correct. And if you look at, I'd say almost all of our investments, we can tie them back to one of those five buckets. And at different points of time, we'll focus more on certain areas as opposed to others as we see more opportunities. But esports, you know, I, I can't say we just invest in esports. There are, there are certain pieces of esports we really like, right? We really like the analysis point of esports. We think data is going to be massive in esports. We think using that data towards real money and the gaming gambling side is going to be huge. Um, so we want to be a part of the data piece, not part of the gambling side. We want to be part of the data right. component itself. We also want to be a part of the capture side of gaming. Right, the all these different uh, VR technologies that are taking shape that allow you to view the game or the stream in different form, that's very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll rather than breaking it down by an industry, we like doing it based on those five buckets. Oh, good. So so let's uh, in the last few minutes we have. You want to touch on a couple of the, not just the gaming companies, but some of the sports technology yeah, companies. Yeah, sure. Two or three that that have jumped out and have really caught your eye that you've invested in and then the last piece I guess you know we'll run through some of our typical questions Tom yeah just to end it yeah sure so um, you know a few companies that I think are probably most relevant to this audience I mean I I feel very strong about every company we invested in but the ones that I think speak most to the sports audience is a company called The Athletic Mm -hmm. which uh, is a local subscription sports content platform Mm -hmm. Um, the model really is higher really strong endemic local talent um, to cover all the major sports teams in that particular city or market and then consumers who are uh, either diehards of that city or fans of those sports teams have an opportunity to get exclusive access to that content for either five bucks a month or forty dollars a year mm-hmm. and so to me i see it as if i'm a i'm a diehard ravens fan Instead of subscribing to the local newspaper, the Baltimore Sun, just for the sports section, this gives me the best content, the most updated content from the best writers mm-hmm. in that market. Mm-hmm. And so they've done, the team's phenomenal. Um, it's based out of the Bay Area. It's a very lean team at the headquarters, but they've done a phenomenal job of building out each of their markets with really stellar... Limited numbers so far, right? Of cities? The headquarters. Three cities so far. So it's in, uh, as of today, it's in Cleveland. Um, Chicago and Toronto right and okay. so you know we're we certainly see some rapid expansion in the coming months um, what really attracted us to that is one the team they know how to build community they originally came from Strava mm-hmm. and so they fully understand how important it is to engage a community and what how to build product around that community um, and second subscription model 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've all seen with larger media companies, building an ad-supported model on the local basis is increasingly difficult, um, just because it's very heavy on the ad sales side, mm-hmm. um, potentially cannibalize your national brands. So subscription was really intriguing to us. And so they're, they're doing really, really well, continuing to scale in each of those markets. And We'll be in some more markets soon. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, one other one? Uh, another one for New York lovers, Live-like VR. Um, Live-like is uh, a very fast-growing VR, uh, VR platform, which enables media companies and broadcasters to actually distribute their content in VR and through their Magic Window product, uh, also on your mobile device. Mm. So you don't just need a VR headset, um, but you could view it on your phone. So, so are there any specific examples that we might know of? Uh, yeah, so they, they did uh, worked in partnership with Fox for the Super Bowl okay. this past year. Uh, so you could actually watch, not the live game, uh, but you know I think we all understand the, the limitations of VR right. of watching a full right. game. Kind of a valuable property. It, it, it is, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But it, it's very difficult to assume someone's going to sit there for three hours, right. right, as it stands today with the headset on yeah. during the Super Bowl when all their friends right. are around. Uh, but what they opened up to the audience was the ability after each quarter to okay. actually view a recap hmm. of that quarter in VR through the mobile platform okay. of the Magic Window. So uh, we're really excited about them. Team is incredibly sharp. Um, Mihir, who's the head of business development. Yeah, he was at uh, MIT Sloan. That's right. Very impressive guy. Yeah, very impressive guy. He's, great vision. He's an absolute hustler. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really excited about what they're doing. They've had tremendous, uh, I think, response from a lot of the larger media companies. Um, Look, it's, it's a competitive space, mm-hmm. no doubt, but what we're really banking on is the opportunity to be that software layer mm-hmm. um, where they're fairly agnostic to or don't really require someone or people viewing on live-like, but rather being able to facilitate the rights holders or the rights owners to be able to distribute that content. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's really exciting things. stuff. So we're going to wrap with a couple quick final questions. Sure. First one is uh, simply, how do you keep up? I mean, your stock and trade is information, perspective, knowledge about this deal flow, about all these companies, about the trends, about the issues. How do you stay smart? Um, Talking to people. Talk to a ton of people. I'd say at least three quarters of my day in the office um, is either on the phone um, or in meetings. And of those meetings, a lot of them might be new companies, but... I tend to make a point on my calendar, my schedule, um, once a week, like to just catch up with people um, who are industry industry execs, figures, mm-hmm. who have a much better sense of certain markets than we do. Um, to your point, we trade off other people's information. Right. Right? It is, venture funds don't have all this amazing proprietary data. Mm-hmm. I think you can if you're an expert in certain areas, um, but venture is about pattern recognition. Right. You have to be a so sleuth. You have ways. to be able to, yeah. you know, it's, it's a matter of being relationship driven, being able to see the best deals, being able to identify the best entrepreneurs, understanding your market. And for us, it's, you know, I think we're fortunate that we're kind of limited 
It's just sports media mm-hmm. gaming, all of which is blending into one in my mind. So we think we can be the best around that, but it requires input from people in the esports world. Uh, I had a meeting today with a large wealth manager who works with fo- athletes, entertainers. Reason is he knows a hell of a lot more than I do about sponsorship, brands, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so that kind of keeps her, um, the wheels spinning yeah. uh, for us Absolutely. to just remain smart. But we, we can never have enough. So I quite often mm-hmm. uh, hit up our friend Jeff Volk uh, for some info. Okay. He doesn't know anything though, so He does So you trust what he says, huh? Uh, more the band. <laughs> and those listening to this will have to stay tuned or find the other podcast where we talk about Yeah, it. next podcast. Um, and then the last thing is um, you talk to, this is a relatively young company, and you see a lot of people coming into the industry who are relatively young or looking for a change or trying to figure out what they're going to do. What advice do you give people coming into the business for the first time, whether it's media, sports, entertainment, um, and then um, how do you kind of help cultivate that? Yeah, I think it's, like, there's no clear path. Um, I think if you look at a league like the NBA, uh, they have some really incredibly smart people, a lot of folks out of consulting, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's, it's more the way you think about it. The number one advice I will give anyone is to find a few people who takes as much interest in you as you do in them and what they do and that will help you significantly, significantly in terms of growing with one another. So I'm not, you know, between what Joe, Tom, Jeff have done for me and kind of helped expand that, I think is immeasurable when it comes to actually going on to the next step. So there's really hard. I, you know, people will hear my background and they'll be like, well, how do you end up? In, I get the question all the time. How'd you end up running a venture fund in right. sports? And there, there aren't that many opportunities. No. When you were sitting at UBS time. 10 years ago, you weren't thinking this was right. going to happen, probably. Definitely not. This is definitely my dream role right. to be in, without That's a doubt. Lucky. But it's not, it's not something that was planned. No. Right. It's no. not a this job you can... has been a theme up. through all these discussions. Exactly. Yeah. It's not something you can apply for, truthfully. Right. right? I think you've got to put in some real hard time. And it chooses you, which is kind of the interesting thing. Totally. It chooses yeah. you, but the one thing that is like I said, is latch on to a few people and become as smart as you can in a couple particular areas. If you came out today and you said, I am an esports expert and I can tell you about every single deal, I can tell you about every single team, I would love to talk to you. Okay. I mean, we I think... Spend that, time with Maurice. Our, right our producer Maurice is smiling <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. So, right, well, that's a good way to end it. Yeah. Um, Deepin, thank you so much. This Absolutely. was a conversation with Deepin Parikh. It's a partner in Courtside Ventures, co-founder, and also NYVC Sports. So uh, we know you're involved uh, online and in the Twitter sphere and, and the and the online market at Not large. Not as good so, as you, Tom. Well, we keep trying. <laughs> but anyway, how can we? Uh, how can people find you? Yeah, so uh, you can either on Twitter, you can find me at at Deepen Parikh, so D E E P E N last name Parikh P A R I K H or uh, feel free to email us anytime at our courtside address, which is deepen at courtsidevc.com. Nice, getting the exact email address. Awesome. <laughs> um, and then NYVC Sports, quick plug for that, even though we'll be talking about that in part two. Yeah. Uh, at NYVC Sports on Twitter. Uh, we won't give out Jeff Volk's email yet, maybe <laughs> later. Uh, but again, thank you so much. That was a terrific conversation, awesome. Joe. Thank you for another good one. Great. 
Um, we'll be seeing you soon uh, at the next NYBC event, and we look forward to part two of this. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We encourage you to check out the next one that's coming after this podcast, which will be uh, a more detailed discussion of NYBC Sports and its expanding empire. Thanks to Deepin and Jeff. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my host is Joe Fabrito. My production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, the Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.